So, trick question is, what's the most important thing that can happen to you when you die? So you see your head tilting sideways, so I said, no, there's got to be a trick in this, right? <laughs> most important thing that can happen to you when you die. So what's the answer most people will say? Go to heaven. And that's half the answer. The other half is, bring many people with you. Yeah. Of course, not at the same time. <laughs> not physically, right? <laughs> All right. I, I really enjoyed Jay's sermon last week, starting this off on uh, evangelism, especially his story of Sam, also called Mike, also called Michael. And, and the, the great thing about that story is, in, in the end, Sam comes to the Lord. And, you know, when we evangelize, that's one of the things that isn't always going to happen. Some people will come to the Lord later on, after you know, at a time when we, we're not even around anymore, and they do. And then some people don't come to the Lord at all. So uh, we have to just be aware of that, that um, we can't get discouraged in it. There'll be many times, we'll talk about this a little bit later on in the sermon, but um, it's very easy to get discouraged and kind of give up. It's like, you know, nobody really wants to hear this message. But anyway, let's get into God's Word, and that might help us out a little bit with some of these things. I'm going to start off in Matthew 25, and verse 14, and this is a parable that you're all very, very familiar with, but I want to take it and apply it a little bit to what we're talking about. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug it in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things, and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he came... Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, 
You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. I think what's important to see here, God uses this analogy of money, in, in a sense, uh, with what he's, doing, what he's doing here. But he's really, when he's talking about the talents, I think he's talking about the abilities that he gives to each Christian. And each of us has received a certain amount of abilities from him. It says, according to our, our ability, according to what God has created in us. And if we take this and kind of apply it to evangelism, I think God has given us some abilities in that area. We're not all going to be Billy Graham. All right? I know that I could take Billy Graham's sermon and stand in front of 50,000 people and give that same sermon, but I'm not going to get the same results. I don't have Billy Graham's abilities. It's just not there. You know, it's not something that, that he has given to me. But to each of us, he has given certain abilities to be able to, in the world, to be a witness for him. And in, in many, many different ways. Because a lot of times when we think of being a witness, we think of it's verbal. We're going to tell somebody about Jesus. Well, that is one way. But it's not the only way. We witness more with our actions with our life than we do with our own words. And it's so important that our actions follow through with this. Um, I just want to come back into another parable uh, in Matthew 13. And I'm not going to read the whole parable because it's something that, again, we are familiar with. It's the sower of the seeds. And the the parable ends in... uh, Chapter 13, verse 8, where it says, uh, uh, But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Well, I, I know that we're the seed that fell on the good ground. I mean, we wouldn't be here if we weren't. But notice it says, yielded, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And I'm, I'm a little puzzled with that is in relationship to is this because God gives us a different ability or is this because we use what God gives us and we use it to the full and that we, we can have a hundredfold or sixtyfold or thirtyfold. And I'm not, I'm not really sure what the answer is to that. But I, I, again, going back to men like Billy Graham and um, uh, other evangelists that have talked in front of millions and millions of people and brought many millions uh, to them. I think of Billy Graham's reward in heaven. And I, I know Billy Graham has a great reward waiting for him in heaven. But why? Is it because he brought many people to the Lord? Is it because of his success? Or was it because of his obedience to the Lord in using the talents, in using the abilities that, uh, that God gave to him. And I think it's uh, those two things that uh, Jesus had when he was on this earth. He was very obedient to the Father. So I think obedience is very, very important. And the other thing is love. And when we come across other people in this world, do we love them? 
Let's, let's take a look at, at something that, that really struck me here. Um, it goes, it's in the book of Mark, and it's chapter 10, um, verse 17, and it says, Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, this, this is Jesus, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is, God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Now, why did Mark say that Jesus loved him? Because we know Jesus loved everybody. But if you go and all the people that Jesus came across and, you know, and, and, and talked to them and healed them and everything, it doesn't always say Jesus loved them. But in this instance, he's looking at this man and he knows that this man's searching. He's searching for, you know, how can I be better in what I'm doing? So he looked at him and loved him. And I think that's, that's our example. When we look at other people who we may be meeting for the first time, do we love them? Do we love them like Jesus loved them? And another thing in this uh, incident here is that after Jesus tells him what else he needs to do, the man basically says no. He walks away because he... Jesus said, you, if you really want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and come follow me. Now, that's not necessarily what he's telling every Christian in the world, but that's what this fellow needed to do because he was a rich man and he depended a lot on his riches. But he walked away, basically said, knowing that he couldn't give up his riches. Did Jesus fail in that? You know, a lot of times we look at ourselves as, you know, I, I witnessed to these people and they, you know, they just, just walked away. We, we are not to feel like failures in that because with being obedient to what God tells us to do, it's between God and them once we do what God tells us to do, to be obedient to him. I always remember this, that uh, in Acts... Acts uh, 17, and I, lo- I love this scripture, and I've used it before for other things. 17:26. This is what God tells us. He says, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times. So he has determined that we are here at this time, And then it says, and the boundaries of their dwelling. So where we're living, this is where God put us. So all the situations that we face as far as bringing people to the Lord are are things that God, you know, he put us here at this time and in this place, maybe to meet this person. Okay? And and we might only talk to this person once. So you you don't know. So it's 
you know, how are you going to represent Jesus? Remember, we're his ambassadors, okay? An ambassador is one who, in a foreign country, represents that country that they came from. We are an ambassador from Jesus, from the kingdom of God. So we're representing that kingdom and this kingdom here on earth. And we have to remember that when we, when we meet other, other people. Again, sometimes it's only our actions. It's not going to be our words because we don't always have those opportunities. I want to present some of the people that um, have been evangelists through the years. One of them uh, was back in the 1950s. Let's see if you know who this person was because his famous quote came from him. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Anybody know who that was? Yeah, Jim Elliott. Okay, and he went into the jungles of Ecuador with four other men uh, back in 1952. And he was there about four years before he was martyred. But um, uh, the, the tribe that he was trying to bring to Christianity was a tribe that was known for killing their enemies. Okay, and I guess... They considered him an enemy. The real neat thing here in this story is uh, Jim Elliott never saw the men there come to the Lord. But his wife did years later. And uh, one of the men that actually was came out and killed the men. I don't know if it was specifically Jim Elliott because there were four other men that died at the same time. Um, he said, my soul was black then, but now it's white. You know, and he, he did uh, give his heart to the Lord. Uh, another person, a couple of people here, uh, one from Sudan is Dr. Ibrahim. Very, uh, uh, very recent. Dr. Ibrahim was a Muslim that converted to Christianity. And in Sudan, you were thrown into jail for that. And she was thrown into jail and she was sentenced to be hanged. And I, I'm not sure exactly where that the status of that is because... At one time, they let her out of jail, and then she tried to get on a plane to the United States, and they rearrested her. And the last I've heard that she is still in jail, and uh, people are still trying to, to get her out at home. And she's the mother of several children, so this is a you know kind of a, a serious thing. And then Pastor Syed, too, is another one that uh, he was arrested in, I'm sorry, which country that was now? Um, Iran, I think. And uh, he's been in jail for quite some time because he's a Christian, you know. And these are people that we need to, uh, they are evangelists, obviously, just in their actions, even if they don't get to uh, speak in front of people and, and, and be a witness, but their, their life is being a witness. And we're told in Hebrews 13:3. To remember the prisoners as if chained with them. And it's really important that we be praying for these. That's, that's part of our evangelism uh, in, in the sense that we need to be praying for other people who, who are evangelists. And then there's the many, many Syrian Christians who refuse to convert to Islam. Their life is an example of evangelism, just in the sense that they, before the whole world, are saying no to Islam 
and yes to, to Jesus Christ. Um, basically, they, their love for God is greater than anything that this life can offer, and they're showing that. They're showing that they're willing to give their lives, and they're showing that the spiritual is more important than the material. There's a great story that Ravi Zachariah tells uh, about a man who uh, he met during the uh, war in Vietnam. And this man eventually was captured, and he spent a lot of time uh, during the war in a Vietnamese prison. And apparently, um, they were trying, he, he spoke Vietnamese and English. And they were trying to uh, get him to believe in Marxism. And so all they would give him to read was Marxist literature in the, in the Vietnamese language. And that's all he could read. That's, that was all he had. So he, he did read the stuff, you know, and, uh, as, they, as they had ordered him to. And, you know, as months and months and months and then years started to go by, uh, he started to really fall away from Christianity and started to actually believe in, in Marxism. And one day he was ordered to clean the latrine. And while he was clean, cleaning the latrine, he saw this piece of paper and he picked it up and he saw there was, there was English, something written in English on it. So he said, I've got to save this. Now, it, it happened to be they were being used as toilet paper. So he was cleaning it off so that he could take this back to his, his bunk and under his covers read this thing in English. And so he gets back to his bunk that night and he reads in English, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It was actually a Bible that had been given to one of the Vietnamese soldiers and he was ripping the pages out one by one and using it for toilet paper. So he volunteered now, his Avari's uh, friend volunteered to be the latrine cleaner every day so that he could get the Bible at him and brought him back. But his, somebody gave a Bible in, in, in this area, you know. Here's an evangelist, you know, I mean, and here's the fruit of it. It brought this fellow back to Christianity that had, that had walked away. So I have a, uh, a DVD here that we're going to show. And the fellow that on, on the DVD is not an evangelist himself. Actually, he's a pastor. He could be an evangelist, but I'm not really sure. But he comes to the Lord because of somebody who had an evangelist thing. Do you want to? Put that on there. Um, so he's speaking to a lot of Gideons. So you understand where that is coming from. And I held my mother's gun to my head. And I wanted to blow my brains out all over her wall. You must ask the question, why would a 10-year-old child want to die? Ten is a time to dream of being an astronaut, of being a soccer star, a football player, a preacher, a pastor, a doctor. But for me, life was so horrific, with so much vitriol and pain, I wanted to die. I'm the product of interracial immigrants. My grandmother was tall, 
white and fen from Germany, and we called her French fry. My grandfather was a big, burly black man from Cuba, and we called him hamburger. Hamburger met French fry and created a happy meal. And these two immigrants produced seven McNuggets with special sauce. We would joke that we would have Wiener Schnitzel with salsa for Thanksgiving. My grandfather had to hide the fact in the 1940s in America that he was married to a Caucasian woman. But one wedding anniversary, he had a flaw. He liked to drink overproof Cuban rum. And one evening, he was inebriated. And a man saw them together and said to my grandmother, Why would you be a nigger lover? My grandfather, with huge arms, lost his temper and hit the man in the jaw and broke his neck. The man didn't die, but he was injured severely. He went to the worst prison, convicted of the crime. Mansfield Reformatory in Ohio, locked down 23 hours a day. It hit the newspapers that my grandmother was married to this convicted felon, and she lost her job. But being a German woman, she didn't complain or whine or woe is me. She began to work odd jobs, cleaning other people's houses and toilets, taking care of their children. But as she was working, she would have fainting spells, passing out, doing her job. She went to the doctor and discovered that she had a tumor growing behind her left eye that was metastasizing to her brain. The doctor said, we have to take out a third of your face, your eye. You will be malformed and disformed and disfigured for the rest of your life. What do you do when the American dream becomes an American nightmare? She could not work. She was sick and mutilated. My grandfather's in jail, and day by day, they lost everything that they had acquired. They lost their house. They lost their car. They lost their furniture. They lost their dignity. They lost their self-esteem, and they were living in the streets like animals. My three uncles got hooked on heroin. They belonged to a gang called the Devil's Disciple. And my entire family became atheistic. No God, no prayer, no Bible, no hope. And my mother, at age 14, was called by a pimp named Larry, who said to her, What is school doing for you? You are sitting on a gold mine. She said, Where? He said, You're sitting on it. And we call this being turned out. And little by little, she began to sell her 14-year-old body to grown men for money to survive. It's called turning tricks. And at age 16, she got pregnant. We call it having a trick baby. Two strangers meet for a business transaction, and there's a mistake. The pimp said, you can't make any money having a baby in the oven. We have got to kill this baby. They kicked her in the stomach. They fed her alcohol. They gave her drugs. They took a hanger and stabbed the baby over and over again. But the baby would not die. 
The baby was born two months premature with no pancreas, a learning disability, a bladder too small, unable to function, a severe stutterer. We call it a trick baby. Nobody wants the baby. No hope, no future. Kill it was the word. That baby was me. I'm the lowest of the low. I come from the guttermost. I come from a hellish condition. And so when I would go to school, I couldn't talk. I stuttered so severely from the trauma. My mother had a madam who hated men. Her name was Dolores, and she was a sadist. And when she would watch me, she would take a broomstick and stick it in a place where no boy should have any object in his body. And when you are tortured like that, you learn four things. Don't talk. Don't trust. Don't feel. And pretend nothing is happening. And by age 10, I had had enough. I wanted to die. And in my school, they put me in a boiler room with other kids who were dysfunctional like me, where we would finger paint all day long. And yet there was a teacher, thank God for her, who had a Gideon Bible. And she came to my school, and she saw kids like me as her mission field. And she would give me this Gideon Bible and read to me stories of dysfunctional characters who God used. She would say to me, Ronaldo, God uses greatly those who have been wounded very deeply. He will turn your pain into power, your wounds into wisdom. She had me read the story of Moses, who was also a stutterer. I began to understand that God did love a trick baby, even as low as I was. There was hope for me and possibility. And when a child begins to understand the love of God and the power of His Word and the possibilities, it changes everything. How can a young man keep his way clean by taking heed according to your word. Your word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. I began to memorize the Bible, that Gideon Bible, reading 2,000 scriptures. And when you put that kind of word in a light, something begins to happen. My stuttering went away. I stopped wetting the bed. I stood tall. I became valedictorian, became a pastor, and preached until everybody in my family got saved. Why? Because somebody placed the Gideon Bible in a woman's hand that changed a life forever. Yes, I was born a trick baby, but the trick was on the devil because of you and the power of the Word of God. of somebody witnessing to kids in a classroom, you know, and who knows how many people he's going to bring to the Lord because he's got some powerful ministry. I mean, obviously. So that's why we can't, we, we can't say it's just a little thing, you know, it's just a little thing of, of, uh, of witnessing can bring powerful things. There was a man who went and witnessed to Billy Graham. And Billy Graham then gave his heart to the Lord and look at the, the ministry that he had and how many people he brought in. So that's where we're at. It, there is a cost though, to evangelism. There is a cost because 
there are times when we are going to be very embarrassed and we, we kind of have to get past that point. There are people that will mock us, will make fun of us uh, for, for doing things and, you know, we, we'll all experience it. But those are things that we just have to give over to the Lord and not, and not be concerned about, you know, our own feelings. That's the cost. It's giving, it's dying to ourselves, which God tells us to do. And this is just one of the ways that we die to ourselves and not, you know, it, it kind of affects our pride. You know, I don't want to, I don't want anybody to, to be humbling me. You know, I want to just be who I am and look really mean and tough or whatever, whatever it is that we have. Let's just go to Second Timothy 3 for a minute. And we'll kind of close this up. This is the culture that we're facing today. And it, it, is, it is a tough culture. But if, you, if we read back to what Timothy says here, we can really apply it to what's really going on today. It says right in chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And it then says, from such people turn away. But this is, this is the um, culture that we're trying to bring Jesus Christ into. And it's a, it's a very, very difficult culture. We're actually going against the culture. What we say completely goes against what the world is saying. So when you have people that have basically just grown up in the world and heard these things through the years, you're, you're going totally against what they've heard and, and taught and the way they've been living in many, many ways. And these are the things, these are some of the things that you will hear when you want to talk about Jesus. Don't talk religion or politics, or I don't talk religion and politics with you. Um, there is a separation of church and state, so you shouldn't be talking about God here. And let's keep God out of this situation. You know, th- these are all the things that, that you will be thrown at you. And that's why our actions are so important, because a lot of times we're not going to get to speak the words that we really want to speak. But if people see in our lives something that there's something special, something different, I've, I play softball every spring and summer, and I've never really verbally witnessed to, to men on my team or anything. But there have been times when, in the dugout, somebody would come out with a slew of curse words and then turn to me and say, oh, I'm sorry. They know that there's something different. And I don't know what they say, honestly, because we're just playing ball. But they, they, they see something there. And I think that's, you know, that's what I want my life to be. I want people to see it. And I, I don't always feel like I'm living that way. But 
you know, that's the hope that if we can live a life where we actually show the world that there is another way of living, that is that is the witness. That's evangelism right there. And, you know, hopefully there will be many. We might not see it, but many that see us may some somewhere along the line come to the Lord. And that's that's our hope and prayer. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's, it's our hope, Lord, and, and our prayer that many will come to you, Lord. And, uh, Lord, that you will show us uh, how to live our lives so that we can be that example. And, Lord, when, when the time comes that we can verbally say things, Lord, that we'll be prepared, that we'll know your word inside and out, that we can minister to people who need to hear something uh, from your word. We just thank you for your word. We thank you once again for everything you have done for us and give us. And we just praise you today and want to just lift you up in everything that we do and say in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.